This is The Next Turn, the home of conversations about skiing, ski racing, and sport. I'm your host, Martin Wilson, and thank you for joining the pursuit of better, to be better athletes, better coaches, better parents, and better fans. This week, a conversation with River Radimus. Welcome back to The Next Turn. It's great to have you here. And speaking of great to have here, it's great to have Kara Williams and Jeff Fibert by my side. Thanks to all of you for liking and listening and rating, reviewing and sharing and doing all that you're doing to get the word out about the Next Turn podcast. We really appreciate what you're doing. It's making a huge difference. So keep that stuff up. I hope you all stick around to the end of the shows where we, on the regular, share our thoughts of the day. And more importantly, I'd really love to hear all your thoughts of the day. And you can do so at thenextturnpodcast.com. So please, if you have a moment, go there reach out and share your thoughts, and who knows, maybe we'll be using them on the air someday soon. So here we go, River Radimus. Pretty excited about this interview. Let's get right to it. Jeff, why don't you give us the hard facts on River Radimus? Hey, this guy is such a dude, I'm telling you. Uh, if you don't love him after this interview, I don't know uh, what we could do to make you uh, a fan. So born December 2nd, 1998, a fellow Sagittarian in Steamboat, Colorado. He grew up skiing in Vail. 2016 Youth Olympics, gold Alpine combined, gold GS, gold Super G, several NORAM podiums, and 2019 World Juniors in Val de Fassa, two more golds in the Super G and another gold in GS. And most recently, as we you will find out in this interview, was sixth in Solden, if you didn't watch that uh, great World Cup debut of this 2021-2022 season. I wish you could all see Jeff's face right now because he's glowing talking about River. Those are the hard facts. Thanks for that, Jeff. Kara, what's the real story here? You were on this conversation here. What should listeners be listening for? Well, like you said, he had some amazing uh, successes as a young athlete. And so he's a relative youngster on the World Cup circuit, but he's not afraid to say that he's still figuring it out. You know, he was touted as a prodigy. Both his parents were super high-level ski coaches. And um, what you should be listening for is, is, is River reflects on his ascent to the World Cup from his early successes to the harsh reality of not making the flip and getting knocked around a bit at the national level. Um, you know, not, not something we always hear about. So he's got a unique perspective. And, and I love uh, how he talks about how he's approaching the season with uh, a new maturity and level of professionalism that's already working with him, as we've seen with a career high of sixth and sold in. Kara, thanks so much. Great job teeing that up for our listeners. We were all pretty excited to talk to River. I hope that all of our listeners are pretty excited to listen to River. Um, so without further ado, here is our conversation with River Radimus on the next turn. Thanks again for doing this. You just got back from Solden a couple days ago. Um, how you feeling? Do you know where you are yet? You got a couple of days rest. How are you doing with your downtime? Yeah, no, I'm doing good. Obviously, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind last month, getting our last prep period in, getting the racing in, and then we sort of have a reset, you know, at this period. We got like another couple of weeks until the next race, and then about a month until the real GS season starts. So it's sort of a stop and go. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, it was a great start to the season. I'm super excited with how it's going, how everything's feeling. So a little rest in here and then i'll start start up in copper on the fourth that's awesome um solden's always a bit of a tricky one with it being right at the beginning of the season it's sort of a quick little measures who's doing their homework and where everyone stacks up but it also can be sort of a false flag sometimes um for good or for bad um you were six this year your, your career best result that's a pretty big deal what's your takeaway from your performance at solden yeah, I mean, I think you can take positives out of however you do it, Bolden, just because it is so removed from the season. Um, in the heart of the season, you have no chance to react to results, basically. You have a bad race, and then you travel, maybe get one or two days of training, and then you're at the next race, you know? So you never really get a reset. Where in Solden, if you scheme well, you take a ton of confidence from that. And you're like, wow, I think the prep period went well. I can build on this now in the next month. And really make sure I'm firing on all cylinders, you know, when the, when the season starts or what's happened to me more often than not is you sort of get your teeth kicked in and you're like, okay, well, I got to step back. 
I, I have the time to reset and figure things out here, but you know, I got to take these steps to, to do that. But, uh, um, so that that's what's happened to me the last two times I raced this, but this year coming there and performing that way definitely gives me so much confidence in, in my approach and, and makes me feel like I'm doing things the right way. So, uh, I'm going to try to build on that in copper and, and carry that momentum into the season. Can I ask specifically, and maybe technically and tactically, what you liked about your skiing in Solden? So I, I feel like just generally the skiing feels really natural for me right now. Um, my skiing is always, it's not brute force, but it's more finesse. And I try to put my ski in position, leverage my body in the right position that it just, the ski sort of does the work. And I felt like it's really been that natural for me through this prep period. And I feel like I'm really in tune with the setup and, and connected to the ski. Um, more so though, I feel like I'm, I'm really happy with where I was at mindset wise. I thought I struggled last season and previous seasons with, with the approach and being able to attack and be fearless with my, with my skiing. And Solden was the first race. I really felt like I, I put it all on the line and was able to send to the fullest, to the way I know I can. You know, I, I feel like for too long, I've had the, the thought, you know, World Cup is too tight and I can't afford to make mistakes or I'm not going to make a second run. Where in the prep period, I was attacking more, pushing more, and I sort of had the mindset switch where World Cup is too tight that I can't afford to not send it as hard as I can, you know? And I think I'm skilled enough that I can make recoveries when I need to, as I had to in Folden a couple of times. But uh, too, too often, I haven't been able to put myself in a position where I need to make mistakes, you know, where I'm skiing too safe and being too protective. So having that mindset that I just need to be fearless and, and attack it and live with the consequences, it really helped me in that race. There's a lot that goes into that realization that that's what you need to bring. You've had incredible success at the World Juniors. You have spoken openly about sort of how tough that process is to, to take success from World Juniors into the World Cup level. If Solden's any indication, it seems like you're starting to figure it out at the World Cup level. But can you talk a little bit about what paying your dues is like on the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, I've I've gone through it at basically every level. Everybody does. You know, when you make the jump from, you know, USA racing to fist racing or uh, fist races to NORAMs or NORAMs to Europa Cups or, or whatever level you're jumping from, you go from, you know, feeling like you're at a certain level in one space and then realizing that that level just doesn't compete in another space, you know? And when I started going to NORAMs, I thought I was amazing. And then I realized like just being top 60 is amazing for me right now. And I have to sort of get that reset in my mind and, you know, appreciate the the value that that reset gives you, you know, cause you, you get the perspective of how far you really have to go. And I, I, I would say it happened to me for the longest when I jumped to world cup where it is so brutal, you know, only the top 30 get to make that second run and you have to compete with absolutely the best in the world to be able to, to get to where you want to be there. And so I, I struggled with that and struggled with just the, the pressure that I put on my own shoulders in that, you know, cause you feel like you're so close to where you want to be in your career. You know, you're finally racing on the world cup stage, but uh, you know, early on it, I was just a participant. I wasn't a, a competitor. And so trying to, move through the ranks and, and build on what I felt was, was progress, which is tough to, to perceive when you're not making second rounds and, you know, keep doing the steps and hoping that it will pay off down the road. And so finally being at this portion of my career where I'm, I'm not exactly where I want to be yet, but I'm making inroads on that. And I feel like I can feel like significant progress and, and substantial progress, it, it really uh, is satisfying. It makes me hungrier to, to, to get to where I want to be eventually. I think that's so awesome to hear. And I, I love hearing you say that you've had to go through the process of, you know, dealing with that, dealing with your, um, maybe feeling like you didn't reach your potential. And I think a lot of kids these days, they look at you now, they look at uh, other guys in the circuit and they think, okay, I make it to World Cup. I'm going to make the flip, but it's not always that easy. Yeah. I mean, everybody has their own timeline. And so what I fell into a lot in my early career was, you know, I, I had people that I used to compete against and I was, uh, I would beat sometimes, or I, I knew I could ski with who I saw having success earlier than I did, you know, or people that were younger than me. I threw all of 
like Norams and Europa Cups, or sorry, you know, fist to Noram, I never had anybody that I felt like was beating me that was younger than me. But then you look over and you see, you know, 18 year olds scoring World Cup points consistently. It's like, it's hard to swallow. But then you have to realize, like, at the end of the day, everybody's on their own timeline. You know, I can't compare myself and my experiences to what they have because I, I'm just a different athlete. So I've really tried to internalize and, and think more, uh, objectively on on the whole of my skiing and where I was yesterday to today as opposed to where I am now to where that guy is now or where that guy was at my age that sort of thing and it's not only more helpful and helps me uh, make the steps I need to make to get to where I want to be but it's also more gratifying more satisfying and gives me more you know a more realistic view of, of where I'm at and and makes me more fulfilled in that that's an interesting answer can you backfill a little bit and talk about your ski development over the years and sort of what you were good at when in, in different parts of your, your, your lifestyle of a skier? Yeah, sure. So my parents were both ski coaches. My dad coached the national team and my mom's coached every level of the sport. My dad, when I was growing up, was the director of Ski Club Bale and my mom would run ski camps in the summer. So I very am very grateful for the opportunities I was provided in that, you know, like I had the opportunity to ski as much as I possibly wanted to. And my parents were very hands off because I think they, they didn't want to push the sport on me or helicopter parent or live vicariously through me and enjoy the sport more than I did, you know, and, and make, make me feel like I needed to do it because of them, but they gave me all the opportunities to pursue it as much as I wanted to. So I skied a great deal when I was younger. And with that, I feel like I got, I learned touch and I, I learned feel. And I learned um, very naturally how to ski. You know, I, I just tried to experiment on the hill and, you know, I would watch World Cup video and watch Ted and whatever. And I would try to emulate him and, and learning that way. I feel like I, I was raw, but I had a lot of skills that you can't really quantify from that. And I, I think I, I grew up, Skiing. And I, because of all that volume I had, I had success at an early age. And I think that that made it so I skipped other steps that I feel like I, if I could go back, I wish I would have taken more seriously at the time. You know, I, I was never one to be like the first guy in the gym when I was younger. And I, I didn't, uh, I don't think I was ever the strongest or the fittest guy on the hill. And I think at some level, I took some pride from that, you know, people that were stronger than me, I could still compete with and beat, you know, but uh, as I, as I moved up the steps and moved up the ranks, I realized that there are a ton of people like me out there that are really talented, know how to do a lot of things on skis, but they also have done those other steps that I had because, you know, you, those are the simple things that everybody mm -hmm. out there can do. And I just wasn't doing them. So, uh, that's been a, a learning process for me and I'm sort of filling in those steps as I go and making sure that I'm taking care of that stuff and, you know, like fully uh, connecting all, all the missing parts. Hey River, um, we talked about this before, but uh, my son's a huge fan obviously, and um, thinks you're the next Ted Legatee and, and you ski a lot like him. And, uh, and Kara's got a young, a young lad as well who skis a lot like both my son and, and, uh, and you with the feel. And so can you talk about, first, can you just talk about, I think you've been on skis since you could walk, which is really uh, interesting. And you're obviously a ski rat with parents in, in the business. Um, you said you experimented on the hill. I've watched some of your stuff at Copper early season, fooling around on the hill and experimenting. Were you... When you say experimented, were you a trampoline kid when you were worn on the snow? Were you a park uh, rat sometimes? Were you jumping off cliffs? Like, can you tell us a little bit about that experimentation and uh, and maybe start with with your mom putting you in ski boots at like six months old or something? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if you want to go anywhere in this sport or fulfill your dreams, like you have to love it. Um, that's no, that's not uh science or uh, sorry, uh, like uh, rocket science. It's, that's pretty obvious, especially, I mean, the sport isn't, isn't exactly worth it if you don't love it with the cold mornings and all that sort of stuff. And so I, I've always come at it from a place of love. So when I was growing up, I was just always exploring the mountain. I would love cliff jumping. Um, I loved emulating, like I said, Ted and, and all the great stars that came before and trying to ski like them and, and just pushing my limits. 
I would go in the summer, I'd go water ramping with the, the slope style kids and, and do tricks. I was never very good, but I just, I just loved experimenting and, and exploring all, all different uh, facets of the sport. Obviously, I think that there's, there's different minds on how you develop a skier uh, throughout the world. Like, obviously, the Austrians, like there's a, a, a message that basically you want to teach them how to be ski instructors and then uh, teach them how to be fast. And obviously, it's been incredibly successful. There's amazing Austrian skiers. Um, and then there's also what I would say is the more American approach is, is like teach, teach young kids how to be fearless and fast and then teach them how to ski fundamentally strong. And I was definitely more of the latter, but I think regardless of how you approach it, there has to be a step of, of experimenting and pushing your limits and charging. And I think that that's something that I uh, take a lot of pride in is, is I've done a lot of that experimenting. And so when I need to make recoveries or I'm skiing something that I'm unfamiliar with, I feel like I have the variety of skill set to be able to handle that. I think that's so interesting um, that, that you that you agree that because I think that a lot of coaches and a lot of parents um, of kids that are really, really top ski racers are like only skiing gates or only drills. You know, they're not letting their kids like Jeff and I do. Like I, I love going on family ski holidays where we don't have any, any gates. We have no drills. I don't tell him anything. We just ski. We have so much fun. And I think it kind of brings, it, it grows to me. It grows a love of the sport. Um, it, it, you know, you're not just chasing gates all the time. Um, and I think for some kids, it's a double-edged sword when they have a parent that's running the program. I mean, I've taken uh, my son on countless camps where he's rooming with me and not with the other team. Um, but then I had to step back from that. I mean, you probably had something, something similar. It's, it's, it's good. And maybe sometimes it's not so good or you want to spread your wings a little bit. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I, I think if you if you have that love for the sport and you have that that deep connection, then having those opportunities is just such a blessing. And for me, that's what it was. I know that my parents are so smart. Uh, you know, they know they have combined. I actually I, I shouldn't say because I don't think my mom would like to, me to say her age, but a great deal of experience in the sport. And they have so much wisdom and at times they can be such a valuable asset to me. You know, I come from them for advice when I'm really struggling and, and at my lowest and they're there, but uh, they also, like I said, they don't, they never wanted to be the ones pushing me in the sport. So when I was like a, a J seven and I would go to races, um, my mom would show up and my mom and dad would, would stand as far away from the race as possible and still be able to see me. Like they'd be in the woods with binoculars to, to be able to watch me, but not feel like, you know, they were over my shoulder. And after the race, they would be like, you know, they wouldn't care. It's a J7 race. You know, who, who cares how you do there? So they're like, you have fun? I was like, yeah. And then we would just go skiing and just ski lap after lap after lap until the next race run. And I feel like that's the important part of the sport uh, that sometimes gets lost. You know, it's, it's about fun. It's at the end of the day, all sport is, is a game. And so um, they fostered that love for me, for the sport and, made sure that that was the, the, always the thing that came first. And even, even today when I struggle or I have a bad race or anything like that, they, they ask first and foremost, like, are you having fun? And as long as I still have that, that love for the sport and have that connection to it, then I feel like it'll all work itself out one way or another. That's some top shelf parenting. Like, that's awesome. That's exactly how you're supposed to do it. It sounded so, uh, uh, we spoke with Ryan Cochran Siegel last year and he said something that's so similar he said, you know, if you really want to be a part of your kid's success, just go ski with them after, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like go hang out in the parking lot and then come back after the race and go burn a couple runs. And like, that's what a kid really needs. Huh? Can I, can I go back in, into sort of how you transitioned from, from your success at world juniors? And I want to start by what is it like to be on a tear like that at the youth Olympics when it felt like, like that's gotta be what it feels like everything's clicking. How rare is that to feel that everything is clicking and how fragile is it? And what do you do to recreate it? Yeah. I mean, that was a, that was a really interesting year for me because um, it was my first year on the national team. I just made the team the year before and I was, racing full on norans for the first time in my career and 
I was struggling. It was probably the, the most difficult season of my career up to that point. And, uh, you know, I would, I was skiing fast in moments, but DNFing a ton. I think I hiked four or five times in a single race in that season, you know, and I, I just, uh, had that pressure on myself. Like I need to make this step or, you know, something that, uh, I've heard a lot and I've felt a lot is early on in my career when I made the national team, my first reaction was, Oh, I made it. That's huge. And then the next thought would be, Oh my God, how do I make it again? You know? And so I had that, that lingering shadow over my shoulder thinking about like, what do I need to do to, to make these steps to get to where I want to be? And I was, it was all outcome based. You know, I was, I was thinking, putting the cart before the horse, you know, and, and thinking about what I need to do in this race. And I hope I don't do what I did last race, that sort of thing. And I really struggled all season. So when I got the opportunity to go to the youth Olympic, I sort of approached it like, um, like a reset, you know, and realized that no one had any expectations on me because I, I hadn't had a strong season. I didn't really have any expectations for myself because I'd never competed mm. against any of these guys. And so, um, and also with that, the realization, like, I'm only going to get this opportunity once in my life, you know? And so I don't want to have any regrets of my effort or my, my energy in the race. And so I just sort of went in with blank expectations and just sort of skied naturally without pressure for the first time that season. And it was, I really describe it as a flow state, you know, where everything just sort of flows down and you're only worried about the, the moment ahead of you, the gate ahead of you and worrying about that and clearing your mind of everything else and sort of letting your body take over. And obviously I did, I had a great amount of success there and, uh, three gold medals. And, and for me, that was the very first time that I really believed that maybe I could make a career of this, you know, where I was, I was thinking, okay, well, I I'm, I'm right there with the very best of my age right now. Um, and then also just that mindset, the, the flow state mindset or the, the releasing everything except the moment ahead of me was, was something that I've carried, carried on to this day. And sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not, it's impossible to totally clear your head. And, and I'm learning more and more to, you know, accept that anxiety can be there and, you know, l allow it to, uh, to exist, but not let it affect me. But uh, I'm always trying to get back to that flow state. Where does the rubber hit the road there? Like, how, what are you actually doing to try to recreate that? Do you, it, or is it just you're hoping that you're pretty chill and you're present? <laughs> like, what are, I, I guess maybe I'm asking for some advice. <laughs> <laughs> How do you, uh, uh, what is it an athlete can do in, in the circus that is the white circus? Mm -hmm. How does somebody find like a, a calmness and a, and a presence so they can perform? What, what, what's the strategy to, to find that? So I always think about this in terms of golf and I, I, I'm not a good golfer, but I golf a lot. I always use it as a tool for, for my mental game, just because I think it's the purest essence of, of what we're talking about. You know, you hit a bad shot, but you're still on this golf course for 18 more holes or 17 more holes. And you have to figure out a way to get through it, you know? So whether you hit a bad shot or a great shot, you address the next ball, like it's your only shot and you have to have that release and acceptance for whatever just happened and whatever could happen and, and only address the ball that you have in front of you. Um, I think that that's such a, like, it's, it's such a simplifying mindset. And it's not easy to do. Like I've, I've gone on rounds where I hit a bad, you know, I, I miss a three foot putt on the first hole and I'm thinking about it all the way to the 18th. But the more I put myself in that position and the more I try to, to succumb and, and realize that, uh, that my past performance has no bearing on this, per this particular performance. It, it's like, uh, it's very freeing once I get to that place, you know? And so, the more I, I allow that to happen, the easier it is to get there. Uh, well, we have the ski analogy. We we use the term the next turn. Like that's the one that matters, right? Mm -hmm. We yeah, should totally. We, like that's we should name the podcast. Maybe we should name it this turn. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the one that matters. This turn, not the next turn, I guess. But next turn is like I don't know. That's what we were thinking. What is it you think you need? To, what's the strategy to replicate? And maybe like really specifically, technically and tactically, what's, 
you mentioned what you what you liked. What's the strategy to get a little bit better? Like if you've got your avatar here and you got to get a little stronger, you mentioned. What do you got to get yeah. a little better at technically and tactically? What do you got to bring to the World Cup to make sure that you're repeating that top five podium searching kind of runs? Yeah, I mean, it's, if I knew exactly, I guess I would probably be there. You know, uh, it's always a learning process. But uh, for me, I, I mean, I think that the strength, the strength piece is, is it's a big piece for me, and I'm, I'm trying to get stronger uh, all the time just so I can handle more forces and, and push my body farther. Um, I don't, I don't feel like it's the the main hindrance for me anymore as as I felt like it was in past seasons. But uh, you know, I don't think I'll be satisfied until I'm as strong as anybody out there, and and for me, that that goes into confidence. I think that confidence is the biggest thing for me more than anything else. And so the strength piece is important, but it's also as important as knowing that I'm strong. You know, if I believe that I'm strong, it doesn't actually matter if I'm the strongest guy out there. And so all of the process-based goals I have right now, you know, uh, working on, on my precision and, and working on executing under pressure are all about confidence. So when I get in the start gate and I and I feel like I've done everything I can to prepare, then I can ski so much more fearlessly and, and more free. And I felt like that's what led me to success last weekend is I had a lot of confidence in my skiing. I know that I've put in the work and I know that I am able to do it in training and that it's at a place where I want it to be. And so now it's almost like I let my body take over and, and do its job. So I feel like that's always what I'm building and and learning to manufacture when it's not there, you know, because nobody always feels confident. And, and I think that that's a key piece in my consistency to be able to perform on the level I did last weekend is, is being able to manufacture that confidence, be able to, to get in the mindset where I know I can own this hill, even when, you know, mm -hmm. there's some voice in the back of my head that says I can't. Can you follow that up a little bit, River, with like what role do your coaches play at this level? I, I know you probably had some amazing coaches along the way, you know, when you're J5, J7 and, and through your development, but what role do they play specifically now? Are they in your ear in the start or are you, they kind of leave you alone or do they set you up way before that? How does that work at this level? You know, I think that at this level, it's more of a collaborative experience. You know, I'm not at the start being told, okay, you need to do this on this turn. And, you know, we have to do that thing that we worked on last week to be able to succeed here. You know, they, they trust that I've put in the work and I, I understand the stuff, you know? And so they, I would say the best way to describe it is they put me in a position to succeed, you know, where they, they provide the best training possible, give me the best opportunities. And then they, they know me and they know my experience. So when they give me, uh, you know, a quick, you know, rundown of the course where they say it releases very easily, they know, like I'm hesitant to, to release down the hill. And so when it releases easy, I, I know I can accelerate, you know, across the flats or whatever, and I know I can handle it. They know me and I know them in a way that we sort of speak without speaking. And, and it's the like in between the lines that, that we're discussing there. And I think that they play a huge role in my confidence as well. You know, they think that they, they're honest with me. And so I can trust them when they say I'm skiing well, but uh, they are, are really good at, putting me in positions where I can build confidence and I can feel like I am executing at the highest level. And um, I don't think it's a manufacturing thing, but it's, you know, they, they can, they can sense when I, when I need that boost. So, uh, you know, we can, we can train in a way that, that builds my confidence and, and at least progresses me towards the place where I can be confident, you know, in, in my weaknesses. You see a lot of technology, especially video in professional sports nowadays. Uh, you, you've probably seen it in football and hockey and all those those sports. Right after a certain play, the coach is on the bench showing the athlete video. Is that something that you would do in between run one and run two or or not at all? I mean, so we don't we don't have a ton of the fancy uh, next gen sort of stuff that some some teams have, but uh Video plays a different role, I think, in everybody's career. You know, I, I know guys that don't really want to watch it and just want to go off of feeling. And I think that's a, that's a solid approach, too. Um, I can sometimes fall in love with video and, and watch too much of it and not connect it to my feeling. And so I'm just 
you know, watching a mistake and, and not understanding what put me in the position to make that mistake. But yeah, we watch video between every run and, uh, or not, not on training, but on race days, we, we'll watch it. And I think it's super valuable to, to see a Pintero or a Odermott. And, and even though they have such a different style for me, see what's possible. And so I'm always trying to incorporate things from, from those guys and, and learn from those guys. Um, Odermott skis way differently than me. He skis much more upright and uh, doesn't get the angulation I do but he goes so much straighter than me and he's able to apply force so much quicker. And so that's something I'm always trying to learn, trying to incorporate. And, you know, I, I think, uh, I imagine someone out there is watching video of me. And I think that's, that's such a cool thing about the sport is, is everybody's always up in their game comparing to everybody else. Speaking of watching your videos, you've been somebody who has really become quite an influence in North American skiing you know, from Jeff's kid to, to Kara's kid. And I'll, I'll let Kara follow up with this sort of after. You've talked about the role that Ted Ligety played in your development and idolizing him from a young age. And now kids are doing that for you. What did you get from Ted Ligety? And do you make a conscious effort to, to be relevant for the next generation? Yeah. Um, so I feel very strongly that one of the most valuable things this sport can provide is inspiration. You know, I think that sport in general is such a valuable um, benefiting factor in so many people's lives, just because of the the tools it gives you and the motivation it gives you. And, and I don't know where I would be without it, to be honest. I always looked up to Ted and watching him and watching what he was capable of motivated me to get to where I am and motivated me to push harder and, and train harder and, ski faster and all those things. And I thought that that is the most valuable thing right now that I feel like I can pass on is, is motivation, showing other kids in the country, like what's possible and showing them like that, you know, that skiing from America can lead you to, to this kind of success if you work hard enough and, and push the right way. Cause goodness knows I'm, I'm not, like I said, I'm not the strongest guy, you know, but I have worked really hard to get where I'm at. And I, I know that it's possible for other people like me. So showing, showing that part of it, but then also showing the love I have for the sport. You know, I think again, all, all of skiing connects back to love and showing my love for the sport. I feel like passes on, you know, the inspiration to other kids. And I, I did um, the hip drag challenge last year, which was just a, uh, I've been hip dragging like Ted since I was like 10 years old. And I always loved just getting the most insane angles and pushing to my absolute limit, even, you know, losing my outside ski or whatever, but, you know, seeing where that limit is and, and seeing how extreme it can get. And I, I ran a little challenge where kids could submit their own videos and I got a couple hundred submissions. It wasn't like anything crazy, but seeing that there's so many people out there that uh, have that same love is so inspirational to me and makes me want to, you know, keep, keep pushing, keep trying to do all that stuff. One of my little buddies was, I think, uh, a semifinalist in that. Miles Maven oh, awesome. from uh, from Craig Lee Ski Club. Yeah, I think he oh, came second awesome. overall. So yeah, that was pretty amazing. Um, here at the next turn, I feel like the more athletes that we speak to, like you, um, the more we learn about the role of team culture and, and how that plays uh, a factor in successes and being comfortable on the road. Uh, what's that like for you? What's the team culture like with the US ski team at the moment? anybody that knows me knows how important team is to me. I have always leaned on my team and I've, I've always tried to, to create that team culture because I, I know how important it is to my success and also to my fulfillment as a, as a human being. I really subscribe to the, like the Norwegian national team sort of idealist team. And I think that that's something that we've fostered pretty well here in the teams I've been part of. And the idea is like, they, they've spoken a lot about how, this sport is like, it's really, really cruel sometimes. It's really brutal because you can work all year long and you can have an amazing performance, but you come up short and in a minute of racing and, and you feel like a failure, you know? And not even Marcel Hersher or Michaela Schifrin wins every single day. So what they try to do and what we try to do is, you know, you push your teammate in the gym, on the hill, you know, in their recovery as hard as you know they're capable of because you want them to push you in the same way. But then also on race day, when it's not your day, 
but I see Tommy Ford get the win or I see Ryan Cox and Siegel get the win. I know that I was a part of that and I was, I was not instrumental, but I was, I was, I had, I played a role in creating that success. And so I can take satisfaction from that in the same way that they can and the way that they can take uh, satisfaction from my success. So I feel like it's a, it's a more fulfilling way to go about it. And also it pushes us so hard because I'm holding him to account for everything that he does. And I know that he's going to do the same thing to me. So we both have to be on our stuff all the time and pushing in the right direction. That's awesome. Great way of thinking of things. How do you frame the Olympics looking at this year and beyond? Like, obviously it's the big elephant in the room, right? It's the the big shiny object in front of everybody's face. It's fun to think that it's not a big deal or, like that's a healthy way to think of it, but it's tough to really believe that. Where do you come down on fitting in, making the Olympics, being at the Olympics, succeeding at the Olympics in, in part of your performance goals this year and beyond? Yeah, I mean, everybody's thinking about it, to be honest with you. You know, it's everybody in Olympic sport is always thinking about the Olympics, especially the year they come around. And, you know, I've been thinking about it since I was 10 years old. So it'd be crazy to tell you that it doesn't matter. I think in that though, I, I think you respect that it matters. You respect how much it does matter. And you can't put that aside because that's just ignoring the elephant in the room. The more you don't, you say you don't think of a pink elephant, you always think of the pink elephant. You, you process it, you let it, you let it come in and, and you let it manifest, but you also use it to inspire you as opposed to inspire dread. You know, I, I respect it and I know that it's out there and it's one of my huge goals this year. But if I, let it rule me. I know I'm not going to have the performance there if I go uh, that I want to, you know, so I, I use it as inspiration, but then the goal is to do everything I can to get there, you know, as opposed to the goal is to get there. It's a, it's a, it's a small difference, but I think it's a, it's a meaningful difference. You know, I think my process right now is to control the things I can control. And like I said, the confidence piece and, and the, the work piece, but knowing that I've done everything I can to prepare is a really freeing feeling because then I can live with whatever the result is, whether I go or I don't go, or I ski well, or I don't ski well. I know that I put myself in a position to succeed and then the rest is up to fate, you know, if, as it were. So I'm thinking about it, but I'm also taking the meaningful steps to get there and letting the rest fall where it may. So wise, it seems very sage advice there. How did you get to that? Were you like that? At, like, were you like that when you're going to J three JOs? Like, wh- how, what was? That's a pretty balanced way of thinking of things. And if you can really go that way, you're going to be happy no matter what ha- happens, as long as you do your job. Yeah. How did you get to that though? It's definitely not easy, and it's still something I wrestle with. And you know, I'd be lying if I said in between runs last week when I was ninth after first run. I didn't have that my that voice in the back of my head saying, "What if you ski bad? What if you ski good?" You know that that always is there, and the cart before the horse is always going to come around every once in a while. But I I worked on this a lot in the last couple of seasons when I was struggling on World Cup um, because I would be standing in the gate of a race and I'd still be thinking about the last race and I'd be thinking about, ah man, I wish I had skied better there or. I, I, I hope I don't ski like I did last week, or I hope I ski better this week and am able to make a uh, flip 30. And so it's, it was just like a negative cycle. I was going down the drain thinking about past and future performances and, and not living in the present, which was making my present performance bad. And so I realized that that had to change in a meaningful way to be able to, to get to where I, where I wanted to be. You know, I, I can't ski fearlessly or freely if I'm still dwelling on the past. And then with that, I thought a lot about what success has brought me in the past, you know, and, and whether it's world junior success, youth Olympic success, Noram success or what have you, I've, I've had my good days, you know, and I, when you think about them at first, you think about the rush of, of endorphins and adrenaline and, and satisfaction that you get from, from doing well in any facet of your life. But at the end of the day, like, thinking about it, I'm, I'm not a different person because I did well at Youth Olympics. You know, people remember that, but I don't feel like a more fulfilled person in, at the end of the day because of it. So no matter how great success can be, it's not ultimately the most fulfilling feeling 
you know, holistically. It can feel great for a moment, but uh, in a week, it's a memory. Being cognizant of that and being cognizant that no matter what happens today, it won't be the end of the world or um, the thing that makes my life change. So I, I just have to worry about what I can control and also live the more fulfilling life, which is doing steps every day, you know, knowing that I've, I've conquered the steps and I've earned everything I've gotten is ultimately so much more rewarding and more fulfilling for me in the, at the end of the day. Namaste. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Like, I don't know your parents, but I, I just want to echo what you said about how smart they are because clearly they've done an exceptional job raising a young wise beyond your years. Like I think your birthday is like a month or so away and you're going to be what? 23. Is that right? Um, I'm going to be 24. 24. I wish I was still young. Yeah. Un- unbelievable to be so wise at this young age and to have such perspective. So good on you and good on your folks. Appreciate that. I'm sure they'll appreciate that as well. I hope they do. I, I, and I hope kids, like, I think it's really important for younger athletes to hear like that kind of level-headed talk from a guy that has, you know, the hip, dra- hip, hip drag challenge, kind of like the cool kid, you know, but also talk in a very grounded kind of way. That's really good. What's your schedule coming up over the next few weeks and months? So I'm at home right now in Colorado, getting a little bit of rest in, but then uh, in about a week on the 4th, I'll start training up in Copper. Uh, I'll get a little bit of prep in there, and then I'll head off to the Parallel World Cup in Lech on the 14th or so, I guess. So I'll I'll rip over there, do that race, come back, um, and then I'll have a more meaningful amount of time to train. I'll get about uh, two to three weeks of of just training at Copper in, uh, and then Hopefully, optimistically, I think I'll be racing the, the Super G's in, in Beaver Creek, which will be really exciting. Nice. It'll be nice to be a, in a home crowd again, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know all the the World Cup uh, GS guys are missing Beaver Creek, but I'm especially missing it just because it is right in the backyard. So hopefully I'll put myself in a position to succeed there in the Super G and, and be able to put on a show for those guys. What's your balance of schedule as far as long GS and Super G? What's your strategy going forward um right now i mean gs is the priority so no matter what i want to make sure that the gs stays strong and i build on that in the past i feel like i i spread myself too thin where i was racing gs's super g's and falls and not scoring in any of them and i was just sort of like uh chasing at straws so i want to make sure that i keep the gs strong and slowly build on that step by step i think i'll be skiing more super g this year we'll see how much but it feels strong, so I think I can build on that and uh, put that in the arsenal a little bit more often. Uh, and then the slalom is a long-term goal. I, I feel strong at slalom, but uh, I need to get my points to a place where I can compete. But uh, yeah, I, I love training it. I, I don't want to ever be a single-event specialist because I think I'd go a little bit crazy because I love the other events so much that I want to uh, want to pursue them as much as I can. Nice. On a sidetrack here, you, you talked about how important it is to give back at, uh, to the sport of skiing, our great sport. And uh, I know you have a foundation that's just in its infancy, but you're super passionate about it. And, and we've talked about this on uh, previous episodes last year about the accessibility and the affordability of, of our great sport to, to others uh, that may not be as fortunate as us. Can you talk about your foundation and, and where you'd like to see that go? Yeah. Um, so it's called the Arco Foundation. It, like you said, it's in its infancy, but uh, I'm working to to build on it soon. And and I don't have a ton of means. I'm not the most successful World Cup skier yet. But as I grow, hopefully, hopefully the foundation will grow and uh, I'll be able to create more more meaningful impact. I am so grateful for the opportunities I've gotten in skiing. Um, it's led to such a fulfilling life for me. And I I know you know, for sure that I've gotten so many blessings that I, other kids haven't. I've just been super fortunate in that. So I dislike very much the, the inaccessibility of the sport. And I would like for every, every kid who has the passion for the sport to be able to fulfill their, their potential and fulfill their, um, their dreams in the sport, you know, as much as they can. I think it's unfortunate, you know, just because of the demands of it that, Skiing isn't like soccer or basketball, where all you need is soccer ball. All you need is a ball and a hoop, and and you can go play for hours and and uh, pursue your dreams. 
I, I strongly believe that the best ski racer hasn't been a ski racer because they haven't had the opportunities or the means to be able to compete. And I feel like that's, that's, uh, an inequitable system. So I'm pushing to, to use my, my platform and use my resources that I've earned through ski racing to give back to the sport and to make sure that the kids who, who want to be there and who want to compete at least have that opportunity. That's a good answer. Look at him. Look at Jeff's like giving you a, uh, Jeff doesn't like many people. Remember, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> we won't keep you much longer. It's tough to really follow you guys when you're on the path over in Europe. We don't get a ton of access to you guys. We see you maybe on race days. Hopefully if NBC covers it, you know, we, we get to see you guys. What are the cues we should be looking for as fans to know that rivers on, even if the numbers aren't there on the, on the board, like, how do we, how do we know? Are we just looking for the Polish, Polish donut? Like, other stages between not seeing anything in the Polish donut. How, how do we track how you're feeling this year? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's tough, you know, cause you can do everything you can to prepare and not have the results you want. And so you have to live with that to a certain regard, but I think it comes from my happiness, my fulfillment. You know, I think as long as I feel like I enjoy what I do, I'll make the progressions I want eventually, you know? So I guess if you see me smiling, if you see me throwing a couple of celebrations, that'll help. But uh, if you see me smiling, I think that means that I'm still fulfilled in what I do and I still enjoy what I do. And, and I think the longer I do that and the longer I, I follow the steps and make sure I'm preparing in the fullest, the, the better chance I have of getting where I want to. That's good. That's good. Kara, you got something for him. Well, I, th- I mean, totally switching gears here now. I'm always so surprised, impressed, obsessed when people, when athletes talk about superstitions and, you know, we talked about, we talked to Dave riding earlier this season in our, in our first um, episode. And he talked about getting bib eight. Every time he draws bib eight, he ends up on the podium. Do you have any superstitions like that? Like, it, anything that, uh, anything pre-race or post-race or anything uh, maybe at all? your hair. <laughs> <laughs> God, I, so it's funny. I, I had an interview in Solden last week and this guy told me, he said, we've heard that you always use the same pair of socks for racing all the time. Oh, I hope I was like, well, I've, that's, that's never, I've never said that. I have no idea where that came from. I guess that's just a rumor that's going around. I, I use some stinky socks. Uh. Welcome back. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with River Radimus. The other conversation we had with him was pretty good too, but that's the only one we're going to share with you. It's time for thoughts of the day. Kara, what are your thoughts of the day? Well, guys, how lucky were we to have such a frank conversation with River? Or I guess I should say two frank conversations with River. Um, just listening to him talk, this is an athlete that's continually evolving. He he speaks about how he learns from his performances, both good and bad. How to get, He talks candidly about how to let go of his fear, how to attack the course and, and deal with the consequences, as he says. Um, but what I found maybe most interesting is that he realizes that he should have put in the work at every stage of development and that he regrets the fact that he might have let his natural talent detract from the training he should have been doing off the hill. Like, can you imagine having that much self-awareness at 23 years of age? This guy is a true professional. And I think that there's a reason. This is the reason why so many ski racing fans are jumping on board the River Radimus train. This, this guy's the real deal. I loved, I loved hearing him speak. Yeah, you're going to make fun of me, but he is pretty easy to cheer for, isn't he? As you always say, Martin, I am I am cheering for this guy, and he does make it really easy. And that's why the kids love him. Like Jeff's son loves him. My son loves him. This, this is someone that, that people are getting behind, and he has a really long career ahead of him. Jeff, what are your thoughts of the day? Yeah, Kara, I, I echo all of those comments. You know, as a parent of ski racers, I, you know, there's no question this kid is uh, talented, athletic, and maybe the next head lady, but I'm way more impressed with how grounded this kid is and how mature he is. And I said that uh, in our interview about his parents have done a great job raising this, this fine young man. And to think about being philanthropic at 23, going on 24 and wanting to give back to the sport. I, it speaks volumes about this guy's character. I think uh, he wants to make skiing more accessible, and you know he said it. We haven't seen the best ski racer maybe in the world yet 
because that athlete hasn't had access to our great sport. And I think that is what I want to take away and what our millions of listeners should take away from this interview. It seems though that that character isn't by chance. Like he was bred as a ski racer, but he was bred to be a decent human too. Yeah, absolutely, Martin. I mean, there's no question. And and just, you know, him coming on to see the, to speak to us twice in one week was speaks, you know, to to that character and and his professionalism and and how thankful he is and grateful for his opportunities that not everyone has had in uh, his young life. So Martin, what are your thoughts of the day? Well, I think first off, we need a new recording protocol that <laughs> we will establish quick, but yeah, you're right. Like he, he's a gracious kid. He's just a, a, a really good kid. And I, I hate using the term kid because he's a, he's a young man, especially with his maturity. Like he's well beyond his years um, and he's filled in a lot of gaps for an athlete to win a lot and have a lot of success early and then go get scuffed up and roughed up on the world cup for a couple of years, especially for North American athletes, that can be the kiss of death. Like that early success, you know, guys used to getting on podiums and winning all the time. And then for two or three years, success is making a second run. Right. And to see him go through that process and be so candid about it the whole way. And now, you know, six at Solden, this kid's about to, to start doing some really cool things. And for him to go through that process, I'm really excited for him. And kudos to his parents, Aldo and Sarah. Like, these are two amazing professionals in the sport. And for them to be able to guide, but stay out of the way of, of their son's career, really quite impressive. And, and River's 23, and he talks about how much he loves the sport. That's a win right there. So really cool to talk to him twice. Um, I wish I only got to talk to him once, but um, I'm glad I got to talk to him twice. Thank you again to River. So Jeff, Kara, those are my thoughts of the day. And I hope our listeners will take a moment too and share their thoughts of the day with us. We'd really love to hear what they're thinking. After all, we kind of are all in this together. And they can do that at the nextturnpodcast.com slash thoughts. So thank you, Jeff, Kara. Thank you all for listening. And again, much gratitude and much thanks to River Radimus for a wonderful conversation on the next turn. Until next week, be well.